Welcome to the Rent to Retirement Podcast, your resource for passive real estate investing and retirement strategies. If you're new to real estate or planning your financial future, you're in the right place. Join us at renttoretirement.com to find your path to financial freedom and an easy, carefree retirement. Enjoy the show. Hey, Rent to Retires, it's Adam Schrader here, and I am joined by the founder and CEO of Rent to Retirement, Zach Lemaster, and we have a returning guest. We had him on a little while back, and the response was pretty impressive, one of the most impressive responses we've had. So we said, you know what? We need to get him back, and that is Chris Prefontaine. He is the founder and CEO of Smart Real Estate Coach. He's author of many of several books that have been done very well. One of them we talked about some last time, the real estate on your terms. Chris, thanks for rejoining us. Well, a uh, pleasure to be back, guys. Hopefully, we'll have a nice chat and, and spread some nuggets here. <laughs> Absolutely. So remind people um, if they haven't listened to, if they did listen to the first one, remind them. If they didn't listen to the first one, shame on you. I'll go back and listen to it. But uh, you know, tell them kind of who you are and how you got started. Sure. So I'll be I'll be brief because it's 31 years this fall, and I don't <laughs> want to take an hour to do that. We can peel back any piece you guys want. Um, I've been at this, uh, like I said, 31 years. Uh, when the crash happened in 08, just to skip right to that, it caused me to do a whole bunch of reengineering, and mainly reengineering by the way I get paid, reengineering by the way I buy, not using banks or my own cash, or frankly even investors, and reengineering um, how the business is running so that I can get off the treadmill. Uh, for years, you know, out of 31 years, 18 of those, I got paid once and it's okay. And it was very lucrative, but I felt like I was on a treadmill every January restarting that. So uh, we buy and sell that way now in the New England area, myself, my son and my son-in-law, and then a great team around us. And then we go ahead and do the exact same stuff that we do in the trenches all around North America with students so that they learn interactively as they go. I think that's a big missing gap right now in the industry. Chris, I love that. And we're super excited to have you back on. I unfortunately didn't make the first interview and Adam immediately contacted me like, hey, this, this stuff is gold. You, you got to uh, you know join the next interview. And we had so many people. This is the first time where you know our vast majority of our communities reached out and said, you know, that was so valuable. There was so much information covered that they just they wanted to learn more and hear from you again and actually dive deeper into a lot of the details. And so we're super excited to go through some of those details today and talk about how to really scale your investing portfolio being a creative investor. I've always said this numerous times that your creativity is what's going to allow you to be a successful investor, networking with the right people, approaching deals the right way. We're all limited by capital and you know the way we're buying deals. So anytime that you can be creative to find new deals and make really higher margins with less of your own capital or possibly no no money invested into these deals. I mean, the sky's the limit. Um, you just have to know how to do it and you have to be working with the right people to do it. And really, you know, a lot of our community that comes to us to assist them with their real estate goals has the idea uh, at some point of retiring from their active career field and replacing that as an investor. Um, but the fastest way to do that, even more so than buying rental properties, even though we're high proponents of, of doing that over time, but the fastest way to do that is to be an active investor and be strategic and creative to grow your por portfolio quicker. And that's exactly what we've done. I mean, we stepped out of our career path by you know building this business and being creative investors, actively acquiring properties. Over a short period of time, we were able to replace our active income. So super excited to have you on here, Chris. Let's maybe talk just a little bit more 
in depth. I mean, again, if anyone hasn't listened to the first podcast, please go back and do that. Uh, we'll include a, a, a link to that in the show notes. But just talk to us about, you know, really if we can do kind of a high level overview of what, you know, what is your strategy all about in this creative financing and acquiring deals? I mean, for someone that really this is the first time they're hearing about it, yeah. you know, can you do a quick overview of, you know, your strategy? Yeah. So three ways we buy. And again, you guys can peel back any piece of this. One is lease purchase. We, we can go into that. We will go into that. But I say that first because as a new investor or newer investor or someone has literally zero cash, that's a great start because our agreements are built with a ten, literally a $10 deposit. Uh, you <laughs> control, you don't buy, you control the property for $10 on a lease purchase contract. And you then turn around and we'll talk about exiting these deals in, in a little bit later. The second way is owner financing, but we niche within that niche, meaning we look for free and clear properties. There's no mortgages on them. Now, people say, oh, I wonder if they're hard to find. About a third of the properties in the United States are free and clear. And, that, and it's a great pool to swim in, so to speak, because they're usually in good shape. They're not stressed out. And they're usually open to doing something on terms or otherwise known as creative real estate. So that's owner financing. And then the third option is subject to existing financing. All that means is I buy Adam's home and he has a underlying mortgage on it right now. That mortgage stays in his name. I don't become a guarantor. I don't assume I make the payments on his behalf, but I own the property. I am just control it. I own it. There's one caveat, one disclosure in uh, the state of Texas right now. It's the only state you cannot be in the middle of what we call a sandwich lease. The other two methods you can, and we have students doing that. And frankly, they're the more lucrative ones. Well, we'll then Chris, I hate to break it to you, but you can't get my house. <laughs> <laughs> what? Uh, maybe on your terms, Adam, it's all about, you know, meeting the seller's needs, right? So well, you can't be... use your third strategy with me. <laughs> um, let's talk a little bit of, and I should have clarified earlier. We had a lot of people that reached out that said they wanted to learn more, but we've already had a ton of our community that has signed up for your educational platform and joined your community. Yeah. And immediately they're like, man, this is, you know, there's a lot of different education platforms out there and a lot of different things that people can look into. Um, but this is direct feedback from um, people in our community that have reached out and been successful in community, talking about the knowledge, just like that family oriented, tight knit group that you guys um, work within. And they're just like, man, this has just opened up my eyes and they're doing really cool things. And so, I mean, we're excited to, to see more of that. And anytime we get that feedback, and this is why I love being in real estate and doing these type of podcasts is we get to, you know, dabble a little bit in a lot of different real estate avenues that help us be better investors. Um, and when we get this kind of feedback where it's like, hey, there's, we are seeing this firsthand case studies of people out there doing and accomplishing really creative things. And that means that there's, there's definitely something there that we need to explore and um, you know, talk more with our community, but can we, before we dive through each one of those, because we will go through very specifics as like pros and cons and when you apply each strategy and what that exactly means with a case study, but like what, what's the benefit of using like high level? Why would you approach buying deals in this way? Is it a matter of having less money down? Is it just a creative way to have less risk in a deal, um, to have higher margins? Can you explain like, what's the why behind approaching yeah. strategies? I'll try to literally everything in the discussion today, guys, uh, you know me, I'll try to do it with live examples. So the, the whole reason behind terms and creative real estate was spawned what I alluded to earlier from the crash. I mean, I literally came out of the crash with my credit in the toilet, no cash. Um, I went from a two and a half acre property overlooking Newport Harbor, which is hard to do 
into a one bedroom apartment. You want to talk about humbling experience. So I had, and I wanted to be in real estate still. So I had no, I had nothing to get started with. So I started to just deal with that and re-engineer that. And I found that these creative real estate deals, they're not new. Like sellers go to me, oh, I never heard of this. They've been around since the 1600s. If you pick up the new Vanderbilt storybook, they talk about it in New York City. It's crazy before banking. And so, yes, to your, to your point, Zach, no cash. Uh, again, little to no, $10 if you consider that cash in the deal. Um, no risk. I don't say no risk. Minimal risk because I'm not signing on loans ever. Here's, and let me give you some real numbers. When I went through the crash, I had about 23 properties, mostly larger developments. I was on personally on all those, all of them. So where do you think the bank comes when the market drops? They come to you. You signed on them. Um, now we control about 80 million in real estate. We are not on one single solitary loan and never will be. And I can tell you going to sleep at night is a little different now than it was in 08, knowing that I'm not tied to any of those loans personally. So, so the cash, the bank issue, um, and then frankly, it's up to the individual. But I personally, my personality didn't lend itself to go asking people for money to, to do deals. So that, that's how this was all spawned. I love it. Just being creative to acquire more real estate. And as we mentioned before, what really clicks with me in, in this type of creative uh, real estate investing and creative financing space, you're not limited, right? You're not limited by the banks telling you no. You're not limited by the cash that you have to put down. Um, you know, we own a lot of real estate that we personally guarantee and use banks. And I mean, that's, that's a great long-term plan. But at some point you hit that threshold where it's like, you know, if you really want to scale and you want to ret retire sooner then you have to be creative and think outside the box and apply some of these strategies. Adam, what were you going to say? Oh, I was going to ask one of the things that just automatically pops to mind is if your name's not on the, the loan anywhere and you don't have that risk, obviously that risk still exists. So why would you know a seller allow you to do that and them keep the risk? Yep. Very good point. So you have, let's go opposite into the spectrum. When you buy a home subject to, it usually is screaming, I need debt relief yesterday. Or I'll give you an ex exact example. Again, uh, Cape Cod's a tourist area near us. We met a couple that were divorcing. It was not amicable and they were two months behind. That's a typical, I need help now, take my home. I don't care how you do it. I just need this relief. That's more of a subject to deal. Opposite of the spectrum is that, that kind of pool I said of uh, individuals that have no debt totally different. They're going to sit and they're going to go over the deal with you and they're going to, uh, uh, no stress involved whatsoever. And so those are different techniques for different mindset and different avatar. Um, you will be shocked at how many people need and want that immediate debt relief. We were doing a, a presentation today to a group of investors similar to your tribe and they don't know creative. And we said, well, give us an example of what you guys are hearing that you don't know how to do because they're flippers. And the, the guy gave us a deal that said, this couple came to me and said, I owe 120. I bought it a year or two ago. I have no equity. Can you please buy my home? I don't care if I make 10 cents. I just want it covered. Sub two, sub two deal. So, uh, you know, and then opposite of the spectrum, this building that I'm sitting in today is my office building. And to, uh, to uh, Zach's point about banks and all that, can you imagine? Well, you guys know the underwriting criteria to go through a commercial mixed use building. It's grueling. They have a microscope and they look everywhere. I sat in this very office that I'm that I'm talking to you guys in, which is my office now, and did a deal in about 20 minutes with a gentleman who read my book and said, I appreciate the math. I'm into math. Let's structure a deal. I didn't go to the bank. I didn't come up with the cash. Nothing. Owner financing, free and clear. So these are just real deals. You just have to match the solution or their goal they're trying to accomplish that they can't do conventionally. 
Long answer, Adam, but great question. And I think you mentioned this previously, and um, you know, I, I couldn't. This didn't resonate. This resonated with me so much um, that I'm going to start quoting you on this, Chris. But I believe <laughs> that you referred to this as a transaction engineer. You you really need to be. It's all about solving people's needs, right? 100%. This is not about you know trying to be sneaky and try to you know force people. You are literally they have a problem, and sometimes it's not a problem. It's just offering a solution based on their needs. You're solving. Yeah a solution or solving a problem when there is a problem for them where it's a win, win, win for everyone involved. Um, and, and I love that. And this is something that can be applied to single family, multifamily. It can be applied to commercial. It can be applied to, you know, really, really whatever outside of real estate even, right? I Boats, mean, cars, literally period. people buy planes on terms. No exaggeration. <laughs> I know people that do it. So yes, hundred percent. I, I love what you said. Yep. And this is, this is where knowledge is extremely powerful. Um, so, and we want to talk about finding deals as well. I mean, that's really about the system and like how you find deals. Cause at the end of the day, you got to know how to find the deal and you yeah. need to know how to set up and coordinate and solve the, you know, the deal um, based on the situation that's at hand. So we'll go through all of that and talk about the lease option, the owner financing and the subject to in great detail. But just before we do that, Chris, um, I always want to ask for someone that's had that life experience to go through the 2008 period. Um, just in a kind of consolidated answer, can you tell us about like, you know, what happened on how you were positioned to, you know, be in a bad fi financial position during 2008? Can you share that a little bit with us on yeah. how that happened? Yeah. So picture now leading up to that, I started in 91. So leading up to that, it's not like I was a newbie, but the problem was I, had, I was a conventional thought uh, person back then. So I would either put my own cash in for the down payment on projects, or I would bring in investor money for that down payment. And then in my area, in New England, the market dropped. In Providence City, the market dropped by two-thirds. So I had a condominium development there. We were converting a six-unit to condos. They were selling like hotcakes. Literally like a switch was thrown. Stuff I was selling for 172, I couldn't give it away for 60. So where do you think the bank comes? I'm upside down immediately. So the bank comes looking for me because I'm signed on it personally. So everything was leveraged not when the things were going well and the ATM machines were going and the market was going this way. And I was naive despite my years to think it would keep going. And, and that was, uh, so in that, in that specific scenario, it sounds like, I mean, not, not all of those were like stabilized rentals. Those were, some of those were development. Some of those were, you know, oh, yeah. your, your exit plan was to finish the development and sell them. And then you could not sell them at what you anticipated. Correct. At, yeah. Ultimately. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yep. And then, and then a domino effect after that. Yeah. We, and then we had like one commercial. I remember it was like a mini strip mall. And then when the economy hit my out of three or four businesses, I had one left. So it's like all that stuff hit all in 08, like literally February of 08. I remember it like it was yesterday, uh, painfully. And it took me four years to dig out of that mess. Does your system that you have now, you know, obviously we've had a great run up, we're now seeing some slowdown. Does your system work better during the slowdown periods when things are, you know, interest rates are higher and people are, you know, it's taking God forbid three to four weeks to sell their home as opposed to, you know, two days. Does it work better in a slowdown or downturn as opposed to a run up or does it not really matter at all? Okay, a couple answers. It doesn't matter, but what does matter and what is affected is how many people I got to speak to to have a deal go on a contract, right? So example, running up from say 12 all the way till pre-COVID, steady, right? Flat to steady incline, pre-easy market to operate in. You had some people that were selling quickly, others that weren't, pretty standard. 
when COVID hit, people panicked, needed to have guidance. Our deal count went through the roof in like two months. But then the market got super hot, as you guys know. And instead of me taking, I know the metrics, instead of me taking 17 sellers to speak to, I just speak to like 40 to put a deal on the contract. So as long as you know that as an investor and go, okay, my numbers are my numbers. I can get a little better. I can get a little more effective, but my numbers are the numbers. Now I will tell you that the community is dumbfounded how positive their business is turning in just 90 days since the interest rates did what they did. Because now you just took, I don't know how many hundreds of thousands, but hundreds of thousands of buyers and families that six months ago, maybe even four months ago thought, oh, I can buy this beautiful home. I can afford it. Now they can't. They're on the street now, so to speak. They were kicked to the side of the buyer market. They can, they can enter our program. They can buy a home eventually with us. So the demand now has been huge. And of course, that's affecting the sellers. And we could talk about the, the timing of creative in this economy in a little bit. But the, the short answer, Adam, is it's bopping and weaving and you can thrive in any market as long as you understand the metrics. And back to uh, Zach's point, the, it's not like people say to me, oh, I'm going to wait. You know, the convention people, I'm going to wait till it crashes. Okay. Don't, that's what the media screams about. What you want to do is get really good at the, being a transaction engineer and be able to structure deals in any market. That's where the fortunes are created. And that's what's going on right now. And that's what allows you to be successful in any market cycle. Yeah. And knowledge is power, as we all know, being creative to accomplish, you know, still acquiring your portfolio, regardless of what the market's doing out there. It's, you know, it's interesting. Some people we talked to are talking about, you know, buying right, you make your money when you buy. And then they're like, use that as a justification to say, oh, I'm going to wait until the market crashes. Well, you can buy right at any point in time you if can. you know how to do it, if you know how to do it, right? And if you have the right term in my, in my world, you know, yeah. right term. Well, let's, and, and definitely as we're heading into this, I mean, the, that's kind of one of our questions is, is now, is this strategy going to be more relevant and effective right now? Um, and I think the short answer is, is yes. Now is a crucial time to learn these things because it's going to be easier um, to find better deals and there's going to be more opportunities. And so it's, it's um, important that people consider looking to add some of these creative ideas. So let's, let's dive into the specifics. Um, I know people would like to know, like, what, what exactly out of these three methods, if we could kind of unpack each one um, individually and talk about what are the pros and cons, what it actually means with an example um, and, and go through a case study or something like that. So let's talk about lease purchase. Um, Chris, if you could just explain that in layman terms, what that is, when it applies and, and go through an example. Okay, so lease purchase would be uh, usually with some debt on the property, not free and clear, usually with some equity. So let's use some numbers. Let's say that, uh, Adam, we're going to use your house again, even though you didn't want to sell it to me earlier. We're going to say you have debt of 250. It's current. Everything's good. You on the market for 300. You may be a little higher price, but for whatever reason, the market didn't respond to you. You didn't get it. Um, the 50 grand equity that you thought you were going to get. Now, of course, that's gross. You didn't do any, you didn't pay a commission or anything yet, but I'm going to protect that 50,000. And I'm going to say to you, if you're open to waiting on that 50,000, which is the question right at the beginning of the script, Adam, are you open? If I can get you to that 300, protecting your 50, are you open to doing that on some kind of a lease purchase? To which you usually say, what are you talking about? So what I say is I will stop yeah. making payments on your underlying mortgage. Let's say your mortgage at 250 is uh, 1500 bucks, just so we use round numbers. I find my buyer and install them in the home. We'll talk about that later. I will then stop making payments on your behalf. So I'm paying you $1,500 payment. My agreement says I'm going to take care of all your maintenance repairs. I'm going to pay that underlying debt. And on and before, let's use 36 months. 
on me for 36 months, I'm going to do two things. I'm going to give you your 50,000 and I'm going to pay off the underlying debt. That's no longer 250, right? It's a little less. That's all we're guaranteeing. We don't talk sale price. We just say, we're going to protect your 50,000 period. So at the end of the lease purchase, we're going to do that. Now, all the maintenance repairs, anything that happens to the house, literally, we're not landlords. The buyer who's in that home who can't qualify yet, who are helping get mortgage ready, handles all the repairs, maintenance, just as if they're a buyer. They behave, act like, and pay for things like they're a buyer. They just don't have a loan yet. That's the least purchase beginning of it. So if and you touch on this a little bit, but who's the right, the kind of the avatar? Is there multiple kind of settings? Is it someone simply that just... You know, they, they have a little bit of equity and they're trying to make a new acquisition. I mean, wh what typical sellers are you seeing in this situation? Um, typically not. It's better to say who it's not. It's not someone that has a need for that 50 to go buy another house for their family. And this is like critical, right? We can't help them. It's people that say, I'm going to go rent or I'm relocating. Military's big one for us. I'm relocating. I was going to keep this anyway and rent it. I'd rather do what you guys are saying. I don't have to worry about it. There are a lot of scenarios, but it's typically someone with a little bit of equity who's in decent shape and they just want it covered. They just want closure and they can wait for their equity. That's so key. Ease of, ease of transaction is important in this and also getting the, the value that they feel they should, right? A purchase price. Yep. And some of that's um, ego. They just, just they can wait and they're stuck on the number, period. And we can get it as long as they have time. So I feel like we're going to start seeing this scenario more so as the market does slow down a little bit where things aren't, I mean, sellers just demand whatever random price they want and have a potential of getting it. And so they still have that mindset. So this might be a more of an opportunity now where, you know, this, this could be applicable. Out of these three strategies, you know, with lease purchase, what percentage would you say roughly that uh, you encounter with this? Okay. So this is by choice. This is a good question. So when we, when we first started, when I not started in real estate, started doing laser focused terms deals back in like 12 ish. This was my strategy, the lease new people coming in the community before they understand what we're going to talk about next, go that way. Um, so it is the, it's the easiest, most seamless, you don't take ownership. So that, that is the, the easiest thing to do. So it's going to vary from person to person, um, Zach, but right now for us, it's on the lower side. You'll see why when we talk about the other deals, like maybe 20% of our deals. Whereas if you go to a new student, Brian in Chicago comes to mind. He did his first 11 deals like this and amassed over a million bucks. And he was an elevator salesman. No, no exaggeration. This is what the guy did. And so now he goes, oh man, I get it. Because when we talk about these other deals, you're going to see how much more lucrative and how much more control you have. Okay, so just to review bullet points, lease lease purchase, you're signing a, an option. You're, is, it, is it a lease option or I know they call them different things? And yeah, they're interchangeable. It's a lease purchase contract with a definitive honor before close date. Now, our contracts are written very flexible for us to renegotiate or give back if we had to, but it is a lease purchase versus, a, versus an option. Okay, so they're staying, they're still operating, the seller's still operating as, um, as they typically would. Um, the, the idea here is to pay off the debt and give them the equity, equity that they feel is in the house. Um, and then what's the exit strategy with this one? The exit strategy on all of these without getting advanced is going to be the rent own model. And this is big. We talked about other people in the industry a little bit earlier indirectly. You can go on today on YouTube or podcast and you can hear mentors and educators say, oh, in the rent own model, I'll put a buyer in my home and I don't care if they cash out. Because if they default, I'll get them out and do it again and collect another check when you hear about the paydays. Well, it might be okay for them legally, but it just morally and ethically stinks. 
So my son, Nick, is our buyer specialist, and we have a very strenuous program so that we don't attract the renter with some dream that has a credit problem of 30 years. We attract a buyer who truly deserves it, who had a life event or needs time. You know, they're going into their new business. Maybe they need time. And they are who we put the, into the homes, rent to own. Okay. So you, you get it tied up with, um, you know, based on the, the terms you negotiate, and then you find someone else that's going to do a lease to own or rent to own in that yep. scenario. Yep. Um, and are there typical terms with that? I mean, I don't want to, again, go too high level here, but of yeah. course it, it sounds like within a certain amount of time, they're making payments, which then will make the payments for um, the, the seller in this case. And then they're going to exit it by at some point in time at some set purchase price with a down payment, essentially, right? Yep. Here's how it works. So they come in, they get qualified by Nick. That means some credit screening, some criminal. We want to see the whole picture. Like, how did you get here if it's a life event or a credit issue? And then they're going to have a mortgage-ready plan. The, let's say the mortgage-ready plan comes back and says, this client can be mortgage-ready in 18 to 24 months. We build a little buffer and we say, okay, they're probably going to need 30. Life happens. Delays happen. And then we fit that to our deal, as long as our deal is a longer term than that. Because again, we want to buffer for wiggle room. Um, so the 36 months usually works great for most tenant buyers that we get screened. And how are you profiting in that? Uh, where is your margin coming from? Yep, perfect. Um, so this is where the three paydays comes in. So picture it now. The buyer mentality says, I couldn't get bank financing yet, but I'm a buyer. So they have a down payment. It's typically 10%. When you get up to the jumbo, we want 20 because we want to set them up to get a loan the right way. So let's say 10%. Um, the deal we talked about today with, the, with this group I was talking about, I'll use that number. They said, um, the house, we're going to get it for um, 120. It's worth 150. They said to me and Zach, my son-in-law, how much would we sell for? We said 170. Okay. 10% of that's 17 grand. Payday number one, 17,000. Payday number two, in the case of Adam's home where I was paying that underlying debt of 1,500, Let's say I'm getting $2,000 from my tenant buyer. Pity number two is $500 a month. So I get my now money, which is cool. I get my monthly ongoing money. And then payday three is, remember that $250 loan Adam had is less now. It's probably whatever it is, $240. So I have that pay down of ten grand, and I mocked his home up, let's say twenty or thirty grand. We can typically get a slight premium, not obnoxious, because we're offering terms and we're providing them, a, frankly, a path they can't get anywhere else. Uh, and they're just thrilled to death. And and that begs one more thing, um, Zach. So these homes that couldn't sell, let's say Adam's home, it might have had like a small thing, like a functionality issue. Uh, might have been the wrong street, right? So the conventional buyer can be picky. Our buyers aren't. They're thrilled <laughs> to death. So that's why a market opens way up. And that's why they're willing to, yeah. I mean, no one else is offering a solution for them. It's a solution for the seller and the buyer that Correct. you're putting into that house. And it's a win-win-win for Super everyone win -win. involved. Um, I love that. So the three paydays in this scenario is going to be, you know, the, the, the delta between um, the rent um, or, or the mortgage payment and the rent that the, yep. that the end buyer is paying on a monthly basis. Um, the loan being paid down um, over the period of that time or that term. Um, and probably by then it's going to be significant because you're further along into the loan and have yep. higher principal reduction. And then also on top of that, it's, it's the difference between you know, what, what um, buyer or seller is getting and what the buyer is paying. Is that correct? That's hundred percent correct. And we won't go, we won't go advanced today, but just so people know, cause they always ask me, well, all, so all these deals are short term. Can I keep some? Yes. There's plenty of pivots to turn that very deal. I just said into a 10, 15 and 20 year deal. That's for another day, probably. So I love it. 
what happens if, you know, you talked about, let's say you have your initial thing at 36 months, um, your buyer that you screened, you had a 30 month deal with, uh, if something else happens to them and suddenly now they need 48 months, yeah. um, what do you do? I mean, that seems like a risk that you'd run into. What do you do in that situation? It's happened. Every scenario you can imagine, like death, divorce, COVID, it's happened. So a couple, couple things in no particular priority order. One, our agreements are set up and we haven't had to do this, I think, twice out of 700 deals. The agreements are set up that I can say to you, Adam, well, Adam, um, I need an extension. This buyer needs a little more time. We don't want to kick them out in the street. And you say, nope, I'm, not, I'm holding my ground. I don't care about the buyer. You know, you, you just don't care. Okay, I can give the house back, Adam. You can take it with the person in it. That's our agreement calls for that. I can assign the house right back to you. Most sellers want nothing to do with that. So they'll cooperate with us. During COVID, I had to extend two deals. Not bad. We had like 60 we carried. Um, so we can extend it. We can, um, if, if they're not behaving well and they didn't qualify, and we have that buffer built into our, our uh, back end with our seller, we can sell it conventionally. We did one of those during COVID. Or if there's more term left, we can install another tenant buyer. We've done that as well. The default rate's like 2 to 5%. Not too bad. Like government loans, I don't even know if that are that good. But all kinds of ways to pivot to, to make that happen no matter what. Now, you say, well, what if it's last minute, right? Usually, we have access to the portal to say how their plan's going. So if they drop off the service or they stop paying them or something happened, we go, whoa, whoa, whoa. And we get in there and we be proactive. That's, there's all kinds of checkpoints in there so they can't be off last minute and surprise everybody. What it sounds and, like is you have a you have an efficient system to monitor and track. Obviously, you have the experience of how to navigate these avenues when they yeah. come up in these what ifs. But also, it's it's the tracking throughout this process, and that's why it's so fundamentally important to you know <laughs> maybe have some Systems guidance yeah, on this. Um, uh, what are you gonna say, Adam? Oh, so in that situation, let's pretend that you know you you have the option, and suddenly you know their term comes up, and they decide, oh well, this home is now. You know, we agreed on 250, but now, you know, market's downturn. It's only worth 150, and you you can't get anybody to do the 250. What happens in in that scenario? Yep, you can tell this is all we get for questions. They're good. So uh, they, their agreements, the buyers are not contingent upon appraisals, never, and they never. We've never even questioned on it. So they have a couple of choices, as do we. We can say, look, picture this. Let me back up a little bit. Picture this, Adam. Uh, my conversation with them when they buy is when they go into our home, rather, hey, Adam, you're, bu you're buying this home, you still have a mortgage yet. So when you buy a home, the market can go up or down, right? And they go, right. So we educate them because some never bought before. So if the market goes up, good for you. Your price is locked. If the market goes down, you might have to wait to sell just like everybody else. So there's, there's a couple things they can do. They can extend the period with us. And if we need the extension from the seller and we don't already have it, we'll have to go do that. Or they can come up with more cash or they can walk. Those are their three choices on the buyer side. Yeah. And so they, that's one of the things, if they walk, you just, you have the option in yours to just hand it back to the seller, right? So you could just, they walk from you, you hand it back to the seller. And yeah, but in that on. scenario, picture it. Do you really think the seller wants that back now if it went down that much? No. <laughs> so what would we do? Turn around and rent it. Cover it for yeah. a bit. There's, there's a, a thousand what ifs. Uh, and these are good ones, Adam. I think they're just super applicable. and. But the, but the main thing is there, there's always a solution on it and it's yep. knowing what that solution is um, and just, yep. you know, being, being creative and strategic. And so right now, again, this is an essential time because we're likely to see both scenarios, right? More, more sellers that are wanting to take this path and more buyers that 
can't qualify. So um, just naturally, this is a, a fit for, I think, more people for more deals to, to make sense like this. Yeah, um, most of our stuff, Zach, because of that, and Adam, we're pushing the community very aggressively to get longer terms. Like my building's 20 years. I don't care what the market does. I really don't. <laughs> you guys know that. So if you, if, when you push for longer terms, it takes a lot of that stress out of it. And we say, to, we say to sellers, look, we're conservative investors. That's our script. We say we're conservative. So I'm going to ask for this term and we may not need it. I may cash out in three years, but I don't want to come back to the table with you. And we're just very open and honest up front with them about that. Yeah. So when you talk about the, the three options you mentioned before, deals were like, you know, one out of every 40 calls, then it became one out of 17. Yeah. In this one, what's the typical range? Is this one of the easier ones to get or one of the harder least ones? Purchase, the uh, least purchase in general or this market? Least purchase? No, least purchase, yeah. Yeah, one of the easier ones. Um, yeah, it's most palatable because it, palatable, excuse me, because they're not giving up a deed. So when you compare that to a sub two picture, they have to give up the deed on their house and keep the loan in their name. So they've got to be pretty stressed out. Least purchase can kind of uh, touch upon everyone because every scenario could go through lease purchase. It's more us steering if we want to go ahead and own the deal instead of leasing it. Yeah. That and also what's what's more beneficial, right? What's more applicable for that situation, yep. beneficial for, for the seller. Um, because this, and I'm glad that you, you said ethically and morally, because this is something that, yeah, we, we've seen a lot of people in the industry that that maybe haven't operated, um, you know, ethically and morally with this. Um, <laughs> but this is this is one of the scenarios where, um, I mean, real estate's rewarding. Everyone wants to make money. Everyone wants to be successful. But it's a hell of a lot more rewarding when you're doing that ethically and morally, and you're you're actually helping people. That's the stuff that resonates with us is helping people solve their problems because those are going to be the sellers and the buyers that didn't have any other options. Correct. And they're going to be sending you Christmas cards. How cool is it to develop a business model where you you get that kind of relationship with people versus them feeling like they're walking away just, you know, with with no no money or like, you know, that's they did this because they had no option and there there's no benefit for them. So I think that's important to point out. And that's a way to build a sustainable business model and just frankly feel good about what you, what you're doing. So I, I love this type of stuff. Let's move on to owner financing, Chris. Yeah. And um, you know, same thing. Let's uh so we're we're transitioning from the first one, which was um, lease purchase, which we kind of, I think, went through that one in great detail. Anyone can obviously rewind and listen to that. Um, that was maybe 20% an option, you know, but let's go on to um, owner financing is a second option. So let's, let's talk about that. Okay. This is wonderful for a lot of reasons. And we did get a lot of the exit out of the way. So we don't, you know what I mean? These are all exiting the same way, at least at this level. So owner financing is really cool because remember I said, we're going to do this on free and clear property. So the, the big difference is, as I said earlier, they're not stressed out. So I have this type of discussion with them. I say, look, in, in this deal where you're going to be the bank, Mr. Seller, there are a few variables here. And I usually call it a quadrant. And sometimes I have them write it down. This price, obviously, this term, there's the monthly. I like to stop there to not encourage any discussion of interest or down. But So I'll try to stick with those three variables and say, I can't give you all three. So what's the most important to you? Most of them say price. They're free and clear. They didn't need the money. Presumably, they would have refied and taken it out. So price is usually the biggest issue. The, this building, same exact thing happened here. So we give them their price if they'll go with our term, and here's why. I'll even go sometimes a premium. The reason we like the free and clear is we structure on 90, gosh, 98% of our deals, few exceptions. We structure principal-only monthly payments. So just like I was paying that $1,500 on Adam's underlying debt, 
We're paying the seller principal only. This is the best recession resistant little technique that protects you and uh, produces some serious profits. Um, and, and that's what I did in this building. So picture it every month, unlike your regular conventional mortgage that has a teeny bit of principal, it's all principal. That's a big difference in the components here. So do you just basically, if you're doing a 30 year with them, you, you don't do it where you slowly pay them more over time. You just straight up divide it by 360 and start your payments then? Uh, good question. No, what we'll do is we'll make sure the monthly payment, because now we have to go out and put someone in this that, that can justify a tenant buyer, justifying what would be close to a mortgage, right? So we're going to look at, let's say it's, um, let me think of a deal, this, this place. We're going to look at, a, oh, this is not a house, not a good example. Single family house uh, worth two and a quarter. We structured payments of $900 on it. I, I remember the specific deal. Why? Because at that time with the current rates, the way they were, a mortgage was going to be around 11, 12, maybe a little pushing it up there. And so we need to create a spread. So we need to be below that. And we have that open discussion with the seller. They say, well, I can rent it for X. Well, if you want to be a landlord, you can rent it. But if we're going to take over everything and you have no responsibilities and you're the bank, I need to create a spread. We're just very open with them. My tenant buyer is going to come looking at this saying, well, my mortgage is going to be X. And so we have to be in that range and therefore we have to be lower. And that's how we calculate our payment to the seller. And it's always going to be that number with some kind of a balloon, Adam. It could be four, five, 10 in this building, 20 years where there's a balloon with the balance left. Okay. And I think that, and again, all these all these deals that you're structuring, you're not you're not actually putting any of your own money into the deal. You're just that deal I just said it. we put nothing, nothing down. You're you're finding the solution and um, coordinating, you know, all all the steps, and and just you need to have those systems and knowledge of how to do that, of course. But um, I think when would a seller for a seller finance or owner financed type of deal, when would that make sense to the seller? I mean, one thing that comes to my mind is someone that, you know, they. They have a free and clear property. They don't need the money, and frankly, they maybe right. they don't they don't want to sell because that's a huge tax event right now versus getting paid over time. That's maybe one scenario. But when would a seller uh, sign up for this type of uh, scenario? Uh, the big one is the uh, tax planning and estate planning. Um, sad example: the gentleman sold me this. I didn't know at the time. Like literally, told realtors and people, and had a sign on a major thing saying, "Owner financing. I don't want to be cashed out." And come to find out, he passed away like nine months ago. And his logic was, because his wife and son now received the check, I don't want them to inherit a building that they have a headache on. I just want them to collect checks. And he, that's why he structured it in hindsight. Now we all know that. So estate planning and tax and getting their price, because as you said, they don't need the money. Um, and in that, the deal so I that individual, about, if, if he sold that building and then he would have had a huge capital gains that he would have... Um, like he's not going to roll that over because then he's going to leave that on to, you know, his, uh, beneficiaries. But I mean, he's giving away a ton of profit versus helping them create, that's a, like a retirement picture for them to take care of his family. Right. Yeah. I considered at one point when he was alive, a refi, which I second guessed myself and he, he went nuts because he forgot to put a prepay in the, in the note. And he said, no, 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 I don't want to be prepaid. I don't want to be paid off. So I honored it when he passed and we still pay his wife. Um, and, and, it's just, you wouldn't believe people's motivations with this and because people say, well, how do you convince them? You said it earlier. You don't. It's the same reason people go to attorneys and accountants and dentists. You're just trying to fix whatever they're, they're going through. I love it. Any other scenarios on, on why someone would uh, do the owner finance? Yeah. The deal I gave you earlier when I said um, about two and a quarter uh, property and $900 payments, the 
that was an interesting one. So there was an estate because the dad died and had several properties and my son, Nick and I met him and they didn't want to, for obvious reasons, they want to closure on the estate. I get that. He remembered us six months later, call back and said, Hey, uh, you might remember me. And I did. We sold all those properties conventionally. I'm leaving Monday. This was a Thursday. I'm leaving Monday to South Carolina. I have one property left. Can you come do that owner financing thing? Literally. So we did that deal on his front porch. He left. We did the rest through uh, remote closing. And his motivation was, I got all that done. I'm retiring. I want closure here. I don't need the money right away. Send me the checks. I love it. Nice. And so same exit <laughs> strategy with this one. Um, let's just review that briefly again. So this is just a different way of structuring for the seller. Um, yep. Free and clear property where basically you, they are receiving your, you're basically, they're going to be the bank, right? And, and you're yes. going to be paying principal only over a set period of time with some balloon. Um, and then this is just different way to structure the front end, back end of same thing, put someone in there that would qualify for the house. I mean, in, uh, go through, just bullet point the, the exit again, one more time, Chris, review. Sure. Sure. So we're going to attract that same buyer who needs time. And I should have defined that a little better earlier. I said credit. I kept saying credit with post COVID. You've got a major, depending on who you listen to goes for I, Michael Dell's new book, talked about like a 200,000% increase in entrepreneurship. Well, all those people have presumably great salaries from J-O-B and they want to go into entrepreneurship and they go to the bank and the bank says, well, no, now I need two years of what they call seasoning to see that you're, you're producing the, the W-2 income or your own entrepreneur yep. income. So that's a huge, huge uh, buyer. So now this buyer comes in either way, credit or that, and they're going to qualify through the buyer process that we set up, pre-qual process. Then they're going to put down that down payment. In the house of the 225 would be about 22, 25 grand. And then they're going to go ahead and pay us monthly. We paid on that one nine, I think it was a little more, 923, I think it was. And we charged them 1500. That's payday two spread. And then the back end is where it's huge. And I'm going to give you some a metric here in a second. The back end is huge because picture $900, 923 in this case, over 48 months was that term. Every month that coming down. It's a lot of money. It's 40 something thousand dollars in principal pay down. So here's three metrics for you. When you structure a owner financing deal that's free and clear, when the price is $199 and above, when your monthly payment, principal only, is at least $900 and above, and you structure at least a 48-month term, a four-year term, you have six figures, all three paydays, every time. This deal, that little deal I just told you about, we bought for $183, sold it for $225. Our profit was $125 or $127, all three paydays. Now, some people go, well, I, I don't... How can you do that? It's because of the three payday system. Right. Some of that you're receiving immediately. Some of it, it's over time. And then some of it's on the back end. But yeah. cum cumulatively, that's that's how it's uh, shaken out. And it's just being created to structure it. I mean, that's, and I think you wrote in your book about um, like, an, or and we were talking about some stats and averages of your, your typical deal that you work with some of your, your students on. I mean, could you talk about those numbers? Um, yeah. Typical profit margins and things. Yep. Uh, we're on our metrics. So our family team runs for between 75 and 78 grand. And that's been for the last several years. At the beginning, it was less. We've become better at kind of eking out the different profits, but we're about settled at 75 to 78,000 per deal, all three paydays. Students range from a low of like, I, I picture a market out in Arizona. It's on the outskirts, it's real low end. And she's at, Claudia hits around 45 grand a deal, all three paydays. And then we go up to about 250. The range is 45 to 250,000. You know, Miami, I'm thinking of markets where in New York City, um, some of the higher ends of um, like D.C., Maryland area. So those are nice paydays because those those payday ones are big. The principal pay down is big. Um, 
there's some deal, some game changers in there. I love so it. why How, wouldn't if you've got deals of 45 and 250, why wouldn't everybody just go into the 250 um, market markets? Yeah. We teach everyone. I know there's different niches that teach people to go to certain markets or time certain markets. I teach everybody to stay in your backyard, 50 mile radius with very few exceptions, unless it's like desert, like where this woman was in, in, in Arizona, 50 mile radius and don't be going crazy. It's hard enough, in my opinion, to start up a business, Adam, right, as an entrepreneur, and then to start going to markets that, that are foreign to, especially with COVID. Gosh. So I teach them to stay local. Yeah. And I, there's not too many people that would go, hey, my median price range kind of is this and like us. And, and we're in the 75 to 78 grand market. I'd rather do that low-hanging fruit right now than try to go out and venture off into other markets, me personally. Yeah. And, you know, quick look for turnkey. That's one way you can enter into, uh, you know, the conventional way using your own money into some of these other markets. Um, and build a foundation that maybe you can learn the market more. But I think the reality probably, too, and you would maybe agree, Chris, that you know something like this, once you really learn the process and the systems and you have the established, you can, though, make this applicable to other locations, right? It's just kind of a plug and play because you have the systems. But yes, yeah, starting point, backyard, when you have all these working parts and you're familiar with the legislation because you're an active investor in those areas, that's probably a good place to start. You can, yes, you can do it anywhere. Um, we have a student that lived in New York City and during COVID, her parents were in Jacksonville, Florida. She went there for a little bit and came back to New York, but she did her very first deal remotely in Jacksonville, Florida, because she, she grew up there and she said, that'll give me a reason to go there. Like my parents are in Rock Island. I said recently, if I grab one, I'll have more reasons to come down and I can write it off. So yeah, you can do them anywhere. I just want to get people up and running as quickly as possible, you know? Yeah, you shared a metric of like time to first deal or something like that. It's so, so essential when someone's starting out because like- you know, you're working hard, you're learning stuff. I mean, you're burning it in a new business venture, but it's like, right. yeah, you got to get something done. You got to see some return on your investment. And so that's, that's so essential. Let's, um, let's move on to subject two is, is a lot. Well, actually, before we go to that, how, what percentage is owner financing? I think you said roughly 20% is uh, the lease purchase, but yeah, you know, our business personally, we're splitting the, the other two. It's probably 50, 50 now. So 40 and 40 uh, to make up the difference because we're pointedly looking for them. We want to own them now. We want to not just control them because like with the lease purchase, picture this at the end of that term, 36 months, let's call it. I have to now have Adam, if that was his home in that example, I have to have him sign that deed, not me because he owns the house. So there's a little bit of going back to the seller. And when that happens, I, we've had people pass away. I've had all kinds of things. Um, we do encumber the home, so it's not going to be a problem, but I got to go find him. That's one of the cons of a, of a lease purchase and, and have him get involved in the deal again, whereas the other two I own. So these are all beneficial strategies to have in your arsenal. And it sounds like, yeah, the owner finance and subject to are probably more common. So we went through that. Adam, do you have any other questions on the owner finance to go through? Nope. I think it's time to, to move on. Okay. Let's do subject to Chris. Sub twos. Um, this is what's interesting about sub twos right now. Because we're buying a home, leaving the mortgage in the seller's name right now, right this second, like the deal we spoke to that group about this morning, these rates that we're going to buy these sub twos at are somewhere in the three and four range. Already, that's an enormous advantage in this market where rates are already way above that. And sadly, I'll give you some stats in a second, but sadly, the big run-up of nine years or so of people's equity some of those people just can't hang on to the homes now. They kicked the can down the road with forbearance or they got sick, you know, they lost a job. 
So we're getting those calls now more than ever. And everybody I talk to, even on my podcast, different investors are saying, yeah, we, the demand for sub two deals is huge right now, sadly, because people are getting pushed out of their home. Now, if somebody sells us a home subject to the existing loan versus letting a bank foreclose, picture it. We're going to start making that mortgage payment. Let's say they are behind. We're going to start making that mortgage payment very soon. And so after six months or so, that credit starts to repair itself organically. If they let that get foreclosed, their life's a mess for three to seven years. It really is. And so we are, again, helping people. We did one in um, Michigan with one of our students. Sadly, this woman had a first and a second, very low. I think that they totaled like high 70s. She couldn't uh, cure the arrears for like, I think it was 20-something hundred bucks. That's all it was. But she had no means to do it. And when she heard how we put buyers in and helped them, to your earlier point, Zach, that's what made her go with us because she was getting all these low balls and short sales that would hurt her credit. And we said, no, we'll pay the arrears and we'll take over the two loans. Now, that house was worth the day we walked in, $140, $150, and we sold it for $179 on rent to own. And all she owed was $70 something. We did help her, and her credit's better now, but sadly, she would have been foreclosed on and eaten up and taken advantage of. Yeah. And then, as you mentioned, that, you know, just foreclosure stays on you. I don't, what, five, four or five years, maybe six years. I, I mean, think some can go as long as seven. That's why I gave that range. It's awful. So it, it kind of follows you. It's, you try to get a job or you try to do anything, apartment. All right. So subject to, this is subject to the existing financing. Yep. This is someone who is in need, right? Um, they're behind on payments or or something like this. We can define this seller avatar um, more specifically, but basically the strategy is you're taking over the payments for the bank. Um, they are signing the title over to you. And I think the biggest question Adam's going to bring his what ifs and in this one, he's probably got a few Perfect. of them about where are the banks, you know, what do they do? Yeah. Is it, you know, with this um, do on sale clause, is this issues, you know, and I've done subject to in, yeah. in multiple um, situations before where sometimes it, banks just don't care at all. Some in, in one occasion we had to have a conversation with the bank and that's fine. They're still getting paid, but let's talk about what, I mean, what does the bank look at and what, what are kind of some what if um, scenarios here? Yep. There's a bunch. This is the biggest question we get. So we do some things and just obviously a real simple disclosure. I, I'm not an attorney. I rely on the people that tell me to do it, but we've never, and I've been at this 31 years, never had a foreclosure or doing sale call. Now, why? We pay the bill. You, you, you know, if you don't pay the bill and, and some uh, investors have abused this, then you're asking for a headache. So number one, pay the bill. Number two, how you title it, how you take title to it, I think matters. Again, our opinion, how we operate is all, all I can work on. And how we title it is we do put it in a land trust and we title it the, the address of the street in the person's last name. Why? In 82, the Garmin St. Germain Act um, let people lets people transfer people for, uh, property for family planning reasons. So it's just another layer. Um, another thing we can do, uh, because local banks, sometimes uh, attorneys will get sketchy because they have relationships with them. We had a student, Don in PA, Pennsylvania, and he was gonna, about to do two sub two deals. And his attorney said, Don, I'll do them. I've done them before. But I heard this local bank is kind of looking out for these here in this town. Now, I never heard of that. But he said to Don, let's just do this on a land contract where the deed sits in escrow. It doesn't get recorded. So there's all kinds of ways to, to pivot if, if you're concerned. And to your point, even if you did get called, you can change ownership. You can put it a beneficial interest change. There's all kinds of things you can do. The answer is you can pivot. Yeah, um, most of our bill. clients are putting out like same thing as buying a rental property. You put the deed into an LLC. 
Um, we've never, never seen do on sale, you know, right. um, and, and the banks, I mean, almost anticipate that. Um, but if they were, I mean, you just, yeah, just quick claim data back to the, I mean, in, in the rental scenario, but that's one thing I've never heard of is keeping the deed in escrow. Um, that's brilliant. I've heard of people using even like a, what, you know, do you want to say old insurance or something like this is, is one thing out there, but yeah, that it's, it's all about, uh, knowing what the options are. Yeah. And having a good attorney, frankly, that I won't say they're easy to find. We recently, uh, struck a relationship. They'll be at, they'll be at one of our upcoming events where they're in 32 States. I finally cracked the nut on that and said, okay, this, now they can service our whole community and they're adding States as we grow with them. And they're super aggressive. And they, they do every type of deal we're talking about. That is huge to have an attorney that knows how to do it. Yeah. It. So you mentioned with uh, the other ones, you know, your three paydays, um, how much you're making on those. Is this the same ballpark of profit doing the subject too? Or is it more? Is it less? It's more. Here's why. Uh, I'll give you a specific example. Remember that example I gave you earlier? Adam, I said that we're near a tourist area, Cape Cod, and the couple got a divorce. It wasn't amicable. Okay, so we put a woman in there who beat up her credit going to law school. And we still have this deal. And we said, we put it through the, the prequal, and it said she'll be mortgage ready in 29 months. Now, remember, sub two, there's no clock ticking. There's no term for us. We own it for as long as we want. So we said to her, 29 months, they qualified you. We'll give you 36. But after we accepted her and after she mentally thought, okay, I got to get my credit fixed. I got to go to the bank. I got to get through law school. We said to her right here in this building, in the conference room, uh, listen, if you can keep your payments current for the first year and you can take that deposit that we just agreed on of 10% and get that up to 20% so we know you have more skin in the game, we're going to want to finance you. We'll turn around and want to finance you. Get you out of the rent tone. You'll never go to bank unless you want to, and we'll own a finance you. She was in tears because just going to a bank scares so many people. So now that third payday with all that principal pay down just grew dramatically. We're still in this deal. Um, and so a deal that might've been 82 or 84 grand can easily go up into the six figures fast. Being in the bank is always the best position. I yep. mean, that's, that's outstanding. Um, are you, are you telling, you know, when you're um, explaining some of your, your business model and your strategy to sellers, uh, do you, do you talk about your vetting process um, and you know, that you, t you take the buyers through and, and the renters? If they have a concern, Zach with, and, and some do, especially if you're less experienced and the scripts aren't too smooth yet, they're going to sense that, right. And they're going to ask you things. They're going to say, well, how do I know you're going to pay the mortgage? And how do I know you're going to cash me out? And what if, what if, what if? So yes, we, we have to sometimes go into depth saying this is not a renter and I'm your buyer. But if you're asking, here's what I do behind the scenes with my buyer. You know, we do tell them. Some people say, this sounds too good to be true. How do you make money? We tell them. I make a spare every month. I make, I get all your principal pay down because you're walking away. You know, we tell them. Mm -hmm. yeah. I love That's it. That's the benefit of uh, everybody winning. They can it look really, at it and say, you get yeah. to make money too. <laughs> yep. All right. Subject two, just bullet point review. This is something that where the financing stays in place. Um, the seller is actually in a, you know, probably bad position. Who's more motivated. Um, you know, the, the house has equity in it more than likely, or I guess, does that matter so much? You need to have some equity, right? Chris? No, or usually they don't. Um, or there's a teeny bit that they're willing to walk away from if you can just fix it tomorrow. So these deals, the only con if you're new is two things. One, these deals sometimes will need money. Cause remember they're walking away. You might have to pay the transfer tax small, but you have to pay that. 
And in this case, I gave you there was $4,100 in arrears. Now we collected 41,000 for payday one, but there was a bridge of about a month before that came in. Okay. So you got to, you got to bring the bank up to speed and are you paying the bank directly? Um, you guys are, it's not obviously going to the seller, right? First. So no, good question. Even on the lease purchase, Zach, because I say to my seller, even on the lease purchase, I'm paying your bank directly. And they say, why? Because I have 50 or 60 buyers in homes and I can't worry that you're going to make the payment and my buyers are going to be pushed down the street if you don't. So I'm going to pay it. You can see, go to the online or you can get a receipt from us, but we're going to pay it directly. Okay. And is, do you contact the bank and I mean, you just take over? How do you actually, I mean, logistically set up paying that mortgage? Yep. So we have a checklist when, they, when the seller onboards with us, but if they have an online account, we get all that information. So we both can log in. They can check us anytime. And if it's not, and it's just a paper statement, we change the address and they perceive us as like a management company. No big deal. Um, those are two main things that we do as far as the onboarding a seller. Okay. Excellent. It's amazing how little places care when they continue to get paid. Well, listen, my first sandwich lease deal for, I still own this property because that's another strategy, but I did it back in like 2012. And the bank was here in town. So I'm going, okay, it's my first one. They're going to know that, I, that I'm doing this deal. And my attorney said, I work for this bank. You know, he was all concerned. This bank knows who we are now. And like we pay the bill. Like it doesn't even matter. They're, they're literally on this island where I live. I mean, the banks, they don't want this property in reality, no. right? They, they no. want their money. They want to get paid. So yeah. I mean, this is a benefit to them, um, you know, to, to bring something back up. It's actually, they're more concerned about their internal books and having something that they're not yeah. not getting paid on and, and like the what if if they take that property back that is a negative balance for them nightmare yeah um so anything they can do to keep it off the books they're willing to play ball um and this yeah you're not doing anything illegal here this is uh you know this this is structured you know thousands thousands of people are doing this um on a right this, this yeah. is just how the game is played so yeah um, all about being creative. So let's just do, uh, because these are, these are kind of high level stuff, Chris. And obviously like, this is why you have this educational platform in this community to help people really fully understand this, but let's just run through these one more time. Just bullet points. Okay. Lease purchase. I'll let, I'll you, I'll let you define it. So lease purchase, we're going to control, not own the property with a simple agreement that allows you to do so with a $10 deposit. And then you're going to turn around and uh, put a rental and buyer on that. You're not going to stop payments until such time you get that buyer. Our agreements are built to do that. Great. Owner finance. Owner financing can be done in any house, but we're going to focus on free and clear with the goal of structuring principal only payments and the goal of using those metrics I gave earlier of getting a six figure deal every time, as long as you're in that deal for about four years, the exit doesn't change. It just becomes more lucrative because of the principal pay down. And those do have a balloon at some point, right? The typically, yes. Yep. The, the the buyer's going to um, you know actually buy the house at some point, um, and then subject to subject to you simply buying the house. Like everyone is probably used to buying if they bought their own. The only difference is on the settlement statement instead of a new loan showing up, it says existing loan. It gives you the remaining balance, and that's how the balance uh, happens on a settlement sheet. You do the exact same exit. Uh, typically you don't have the luxury of having contingent upon a buyer, especially if they're in trouble. Um, but you're going to have the same setup as the other two. And I know I'm, I'm being purposely redundant here, but with <laughs> any one of these strategies, it's the same exit, right? With, with the buyer. So just talk about uh, potential different exits uh, for that, that end buyer. 
Yep. So all of them start with us. All of them start with the rent to own with a qualification process to make sure that that buyer can in fact be mortgage ready inside of a date that fits inside of your date with your seller. Super critical that we're setting these people up to win and succeed um, on some of the deals that are longer terms, owner financing, but certainly subject to that doesn't have a term. We can turn around and, and do an advanced strategy and owner finance to that person and become the bank. So is this where you have some lenders that you work with that you c consistently take people to and say like, oh, here, meet, meet Adam. This is his, you know, give him Adam, give him your financials. Um, and then Mr. Lender, tell us, you know, what all he needs to do. Okay. So two levels of that. Yes. Uh, at the very beginning, we have both a, a registered lo a loan officer and a credit enhancement specialist who used to be a loan officer work with that buyer and give us that report so we know they're going to be mortgage ready. On the back end, Adam, it's even tougher. So to your question, we have, just like you want a good attorney, we have good loan officers in our markets that understand the lease purchase and how to cash out our payday threes because they're not normal conventional deals. They look and smell like a closing at the end, but it's a lease purchase. So there's different nuances. Um, and those mortgage loan offices are super, super valuable when, when you get those in place. And we have them in a lot of markets now. Let's uh, review one more time because we talked about this, but it was in the midst of everything else. You know, really the benefit of doing this, you, you've structured and you've trademarked this three payday kind of system on how, and that's really about how you're structuring deals. So can you talk about exactly what those are again and how the that three works? Payday's? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the first payday is going to be that down payment from the buyer because remember their buyer mentality, not renter mentality. And I don't mean to, you know, I had a rent when I went through my, my crap. So I'm not um, stepping on, on the, on the renters, but they have to be in buyer mentality mode. So they put a down payment down payday one. It's non-refundable. Payday two is the Delta between what I'm paying the seller or the underlying debt on that property to a bank and what I'm collecting from my tenant buyer while they're getting mortgage ready. Payday two. Um, the payday three is all of the principal pay down that accrues throughout the term of the deal. Could be two, three, five, 10, 20 years. And any mock-up that we did on that property day one, we put them in the home. That's when this, that's when the end buyer takes that, takes you out of it, right? And yeah. ends up actually buying it. And then when they're with payday number one, if that's being paid up front. Is that a difference in, is that, is that the, like the down payment essentially? So down payment, they get full credit for it, the systems to use to make sure they do. But it's just like if, um, Adam, you went today and you went to qualify for a loan and you were putting 20 grand down, the bank wants to source that, right? They want to know where you got it. Um, and so the same exact thing has to happen with us. It's just that the time period is, is over two or three years. So they just have to keep records. That's all. Okay. And because you're, you're typically structuring most of these with no real like down payment necessarily to the seller though, right? Correct. 100% correct. So that guy I told you about, Brian, he's, he's very, very much a, a, an icon in our, in our community now. And before COVID, he wasn't even here. He was selling elevators. He did the $10 deposits on every one of those deals that I said, the 11 deals and create over a million, all three paydays. He coaches now for us because his story is amazing. But just picture that. Like, I don't want to say out of thin air because he had to work, but $10 for 11 on all 11 deals. And he was over a million dollars in those deals. On, a, on, on his average pay days. Crazy. And how long did it take him to do that? Brian got out of his job in nine months. I think he's been with us since now, November of 19, right before COVID. I love that. Those yeah. are awesome stories. Yeah. And that's how you can expedite your success on that. Let's, um, Adam, do you have a question on for him? Yeah. How big a nightmare are your taxes on a redo this? Uh, Does your CPA hate or love you? Income tax wise, you mean? Yeah. 
Okay, here's an interesting thing that would, would I hope, make people happy. Your payday ones that you receive all this year, like I showed on a presentation last week, in a course of a 12-month look back, we created like a little under 600 grand in payday ones just on our family deals. Those are not taxable until and unless the option is exercised, i.e. they cash out or they default. Unless you want to claim it. The IRS doesn't care if you claim it ahead of time, right? They wouldn't, they wouldn't hate you. But you don't have to claim it until the house is cashed out or defaulted. Picture that use of money. Um, as far as tax issues, because I'm not an accountant, I will tell you this. There are a lot of advantages to the owner financing in the sub two versus on the lease purchase, because that's more like self-employment tax. It depends on a lot of things, like your LLC and all kinds of things. So I don't want to get too detailed. Your accountant will do that. But good news. We have our CPA personally who works everybody in the community if they want to, uh, because these three paydays, you know, there's a certain chart of accounts and certain things you do so that Adam, you can maximize what you're doing with your taxes. Um, that's why I like ownership. You can depreciate, you, you have better tax advantage, et cetera. I love it. And that's so essential because now that that 600,000 is, um, I mean, it's, it's subject to tax. Yes. At some point in time, but really it's, it would be the equivalent of maybe like over a million dollars, right? Of Oh, of, easy. Uh, if, if you're aggressive, yeah, easy. Um, and that just is money that you can go in then and reinvest um, today and I'll start yeah. earning income on. So, um, and then also, I guess another question is, what about licensing? I mean, are you, are you in theory, does this differ state to state? Are you acting as a lender? You know, is there, do you need to have licensing in place for some of this stuff? I, no, you, not, not, you know you're not, not an attorney, lender. But. Not lender. And of course, my disclosure is always, I'm not a licensing authority, but here's, here's let me give you a couple of stories. So, not lender license, more so people are saying, well, don't you have to be licensed as a realtor? I was years ago. I'm not. And the answer is this. And again, I'm not, this is not advice to what we do. In any, in any state you see for sale by owners, right? Okay. So yeah. when you control or own the property, you can sell it. That's how our agreements are set up. Now, you, I had a realtor in this area. I, can, I even know who probably most likely was who when we started doing deals, saw us instead of a referral source, which we really are, really good reciprocal referral source, saw us as a threat and called the licensing authority and they checked all our agreements. This has happened about three or four times in our community and said, okay, I'll set because you're controlling or owning the property. Of course you can sell it. You don't have to be licensed. Yep. I'm glad you brought that up. That was another question. Um, and this could be a 10 hour um, question to answer, but just kind of bullet point, Chris, how are you, I mean, probably a lot of people listening to this, like, okay, this sounds awesome. And, um, you know, they're very intrigued by this. How do, how are you finding deals and buyer? How are you finding the yeah. sellers and how are you finding the buyers? I'll keep it simple. Uh, cause of course, as always are advanced things, but there's three main sources and I'll tell you where you get them. There's expired listings. I don't care how hot the market got. Some homes don't sell with realtors. I don't, there's all kinds of reasons. So good source, better source right now than it was six months ago for sale by owners. Again, better source now than it was six months ago. They're not popping like they were. And for rent by owner is a really cool one because you have some beat up landlords after COVID. And they're just done. They're <laughs> I done. Think Adam, would Adam needs to have a discussion with you about selling some <laughs> of his properties uh, to you. <laughs> Do you know there's a list? Uh, the, the, the lead source is called My Plus. I'll tell you the source. It's, it's, it's free on our, on our site. So anyone can use it. All the associates use it, all the students. But there's, a, there's actually in one of our CRM databases, there's a new category, tired landlord. And there's another one, uh, COVID related. I forget what they called it. Uh, COVID stress or something like that. I don't know where the heck they get that list, but it's crazy. You can buy a list of anything these days. 
Yeah. And unfortunately we we've all kind of been there where I'm glad you brought that up because while owning investment property, um, I mean, there's obviously many advantages to it, but there's, we've heard so many stories of people that, you know, they've just had terrible tenants, terrible properties, or they've been self-managing and it hasn't gone well. And you know, the, the house is in disarray. They don't want to sell it for half of what they paid for it or take a huge loss on it. So this is an exit yeah. for many landlords, um, especially out of state owners. I mean, this is, uh, you know, I, I see where this is very applicable. Um, yeah, you know what I say to the landlords or to the investor? How would you like to have the same income as you would normally get from a renter, but never get a call from to, as a landlord? And in most cases, your house is better when they go to cash out than when you gave it to them. How would you like that? How, how can they say no to that? <laughs> I mean, you're solving all the, yeah, the issues for them. I mean, yep. 100%. And, and they don't have an option either. They can't go and just sell it unless they... You know, want someone to just make them a little ball offer on it. So, yep. um, Chris, let's kind of transition to talk about how your, you know, your guys's program, how you're helping people, you know, learn these different strategies and coaching them through. I know you have a lot of, you have a lot of different free resources, um, eBooks. You have a special for our community that you're going to give away. Um, but you know, let's talk a little bit about kind of your program and the steps you take investors through. And if you have a few success stories, you already shared some. That'd be great. But again, just to reiterate. We wanted to have you back on on the show because our community has reached out and seen, you know, as we dive deeper into this, like, you know, people, you guys are out there offering tremendous value, actually doing deals. You have metrics to follow in a process to assist people in learning this. So this is just, um, you know, amazing stuff that we want to dive deep into that we've already received positive feedback on. But to share a little bit more about your program. Yeah. So I'll preface it by saying this. I, I don't think, I know there's a big challenge in the industry right now. It's not, it's not like it's new. And I call it sort of a gap. And, and our goal is to bridge that gap. And the gap is the time from when someone takes a course or goes to a seminar and the time they do a deal. There's a lot of reasons, mismanaged expectations, you know, aggressive marketing. But the bottom line is I get too many calls from people that said, I, I invested X and I haven't done a deal. And that's awful. So our program is very interactive. Um, it starts with a bunch of free stuff, like you said, because I'm big on free. I want to know that you touch the niche. You want to help people, and this is a fit for you. After that, there's an online platform that I, I definitely wouldn't call it a course. Our highest level students use it as a resource every day, and they go back to – there's 11 modules. So they'll go back to the owner financing module or back to the sub-2 module because they actually got a deal, and they go, oh, wow, now I got to know more. So it's an online living, breathing, changing, forever changing thing because we're in the trenches. Uh, so that's an online course. Some people take that and run with it. And they, they show up at our events once, twice a year and go, I got these seven deals. This is great. And we never hear from them. Others who say, look, I want to get more aggressive. A, B, I want you on my shoulder. We have more hands-on programs. It ranges from group coaching to very, very intense one-on-one -on -one coaching. Even me coaching some of the highest level students personally. So the goal is always transactions. Some companies want to sell X amount of unit. We want to do deals with people in the field. That's our main goal on all these programs. No, that's so important. And it's like, uh, you know, we say this all the time, but this is the reality is the network that you build and the people that you surround yourself with are going to determine your success more so than any specific real estate deal. Um, you know, and same thing with our community, that's a value we bring. Um, you know, we, we sell turnkey investment properties, but with the right. true value that we bring to people is, is connecting with you and opening up their eyes to other investment strategies and, you know, talking with the right real estate attorney and CPAs and learning about new markets and, and different things that will allow them to be more successful. It's, it's really the community and your network 
is turns into your net worth. And so that's important. And tapping into an immediate network and a system is, is so fundamentally important. And it sounds like you have a, a different, uh, you know, different tiers for different people on, based on their goals, which is good to see. It's not, there's obviously not a one size fits all. Um, and as we've mentioned, we've heard a lot from our community of being, in, being immediately successful in, in your community with the knowledge that they gain and being motivated to go out and find deals. I mean, it takes time, it takes work, right? But I mean, if, if you're looking for, as we mentioned in the beginning, if you're looking for a way to replace your active income quicker than, you know, waiting for 10 years to buy a rental properties, being an active investor is a way to do that and really learn the ins and outs of real estate to expedite your success. Yeah. And that, I can tell you uh, I, emphatically that it's sort of like, I'm going to date myself here, but in the eighties, when rates were high, there was high demand for creative real estate. It's done like a full circle and the percentage of deals being done outside of banks creatively is on the rise big time. And so to your point, I'm not saying it's easy. You're going to work your butt off. But if you're willing to do that for the next year, there'll be people in the community that work this hard for the next year, given the timing right now. Couldn't be better. And create a decade of income. That's pretty neat. And in your community, you could take any one of your community doing the turnkey could take payday one or payday two. And I call it stacking and just shovel that towards the turnkey. So you're doing both at the same time. It's a great combination. I love that. Yeah, because you got to take your active income and put it somewhere, right? I mean, yep. that's um, that 100%. That's what's all about. That's exactly what we do with our business. Yep. Um, you know, that's how we amass a, a large portfolio rather quickly. Being active investors, being creative investors, and growing your your portfolio. What do you think, Adam? You you talked about busting for you know a year or so. What is your definition of like really working hard? Are you talking like forty hours a week, fifty hours a week, ten hours a week? What do you, what do you consider busting it for a year, you know, a year to really get this thing going? Yeah, not hours, but uh, realistic. I'll call it activities to match their goals. Because facetious example, someone comes in and says, let's say Brian, he was selling elevators. He was traveling every week on a every other week on a plane, missing his son. This is what was his why. If he he said to me, I want to be full time in twenty four months, similar to a lot of people. I'll be your best student. A lot of them tell me that, sent me a video, told me that. But what I wanted to hear was, what are you willing to do while you're on the plane, in between uh, flights, at the hotel? Are you willing to put in at least that seven to 10 hours I need at the beginning? If it's yes, I can build something really cool with you. If you tell me you want to go full-time, replace a multiple six-figure income, and you have two hours a week on Saturday, it's not going to work. So one of these things got to change. That's all. So it just varies. It's not the hours. It's the coachability and being super efficient and listening to us. 100%. Everybody says they'll listen, but really listen and execute what we say. Then it doesn't become ours. It becomes efficiency. I mean, that's, that's what it's about. You got to make the, you got to make the active choice, right? You, you got to put in the time, you got to surround yourself with the right people. Um, but, but you got to do it. And the people that are going to take action are the ones that are going to be successful. And, and I know that you guys, you know, have an application process and you want to make sure you're, you don't just open this up to everybody. Uh, you got to make sure that it's a match for them. We've, we're all familiar with, you know, the education space where, um, yeah, it's just, you know, bring it, have a three-day seminar and sell as many people as you can. And those are the be successful, great. Those who won't, which is a small, you know, or actually those that won't be successful is a majority because they, you know, people are just selling them, you know, stuff. I mean, execution. Those, you yep. know, and that is frustrating. And that's the it same is. thing. Same thing with the turnkey industry. There's a lot of people that would just rather, you know, now albeit there's always issues with houses from time to time, but sell someone a house that, you know, they could care less how it, how it operates long-term and what that investor is going to do. I mean, 
Um, so that, and that's with any business it's, you know, there's, there's right operators in the space. And obviously, uh, Chris, we do our best to network with the people that are the right operators. And we obviously see that integrity and we've, we've already seen that feedback from our community. So, um, that, that's an awesome thing. As far as, do you have any other uh, success stories? You've shared a few examples. I mean, any other success stories that you want to share or some, some case studies? I mean, it'd be cool to kind of hear like average time to first deal. What a typical, you know, how many typical yeah. deals you're seeing on average, you know, or yeah. even people that have been you know wildly successful. I love those stories too. I have, I have both ends of the spectrum on the time to first deal. Let's go there first. So, and this will get people thinking. I have people, uh, Jeff Redman comes to mind, who did a deal in 32 days. I have people that have literally taken 365. So let's go to 365. Chad took 365 days. Why? Because remember I said earlier, it's not just the skill set. Like there's other things. You guys know as entrepreneurs, there's baggage. There's all kind. Of, so this gentleman had lost his wife and he had to transfer you know, his home. Like there's a lot of stuff that was going on there, but he fought through it. And in the, in the last, literally in the 12th month, did three of those owner financing deals we talked about earlier. Two were over six figures. One was almost six. Three. That set him up quite nicely. Uh, not to mention the confidence boost after grinding out for a year. <laughs> so, so why is that if I teach the same skill set? The time to first deal. Why is it very? All the mindset and all the other pieces that people don't think are important. They're super important. So we teach the genius model, skill set, systems, and, and, and mindset. And they're all important. Mindset probably the most. So that's time to first deal varies literally from 30 days to 365. Um, Mike comes to mind just because I know a lot of people working and, and, and a lot of people would like not to, uh, especially post COVID. Mike was in Cal. He came in in 17 and I float to see him at some of our high levels. I get on a plane and I go to their market or Zach does. And that's the gentleman who said, I want to be done in 24 months. He was commuting and a little more than an hour each way. And he talked about being willing. He did calls while his brother drove him because they both worked there. And he did calls to and from. And he's the one that in 26 months went full time. Now he has an office next to his garage. He walks out his front door and he's there. He has a newborn through that process. Like his life's totally different just by making that change. But he grounded out for that for that 26 months. It wasn't easy to do calls on, on his downtime and take his sat in, go get a house. But now he has a super lifestyle. I think he works three and a half days a week. So that's a really, and he's in Cal. And I tried to give you different markets. So California, um, we have a few people there. A link uh, in North Carolina came from car salesman, then owned a medical company, very successful with his wife. And when they got separated, he wanted to do his own thing. And he's done about 23 of these deals, 23. And he's just, I think he's toying now. Like he, he's not even full-time either. Because once you get that down after two or three years, You've got payday threes coming. You've got your skill set rolling. You're rolling. But I mean, that's keep a, going, but the markets don't matter. I mean, that's huge. Why you can set it up with the three paydays? You can get paid immediately over time, and then, then you can create this like residual income this way as well. Yeah. Right. And so you you can stack that with each new deal. I think that's important. Mike's story it resonated with me. I heard you talk a little bit because I, I was thinking back to my Air Force days uh, when I was an optometrist, I'm still practicing and. Um, in between patients. And so, and I had about a 45 minute commute in North Dakota. So sometimes that was, uh, you know, <laughs> driving through three feet of snow. Yep. Still, I had a headset, you know, was making investor calls, you know, to and from Love work it. in between patients, making calls, Love you know, it. doing deals at lunch instead of socializing with everyone in the lunchroom, you know, um, and I'm a social person. I'm not, a, I'm an extrovert, but I, you know, the grind, you got to grind, you got to do yep. it and be willing to put in at that least time. For a time. Yeah. hundred percent. 
I love it. Chris, any, uh, any last minute kind of pieces of advice? I mean, we're going to share some more testimonials and some more um, free information yeah. that you've made available to our community. And again, we can't appreciate that enough of when we hear success stories and when people come back and they're like, Hey, we want to hear more about this. And these are creative things that really are going to be like helping people go to the next level beyond yeah. what they're already doing. Well, we just love this stuff. So we appreciate everything you've done for the people that have already come into your community from ours um, and just the education you're giving out. But any last minute pieces of advice you want to share for anyone that's like, hey, this is interesting. I want to look into this more. How do they contact you and what are the next steps? Well, let's give them a simple link for your tribe only. And that's the smartrealestatecoach.com forward slash retire. Um, the other just piece of advice I give them is three steps. Because I'm not naive, so naive to think everyone's going to you know, be in our community or your community. We both know that. But if everyone would just pick a niche that they can attach to and get passionate about and then find, secondly, someone morally, ethically and, and lifestyle wise that you can attach to who's been through cycles, super important, been through cycles, been through at least one. And then third, put the blinders on for three years. You'll have success if you do those three steps. I know the third one can be tough. But if you do that, you'll have success in any niche. There's too many shiny objects. Be careful of that. Our niches happen to meld and weld together quite nicely and create wealth, but not all niches do that. And that's why we're together and doing some great things. I love it. Thank you so much for all the education, Chris. This is outstanding. Adam, we'll make sure all these links are posted um, below for anyone that wants to find out more about you, who wants access to some of the free, um, some of the free materials that you've made available. Um, Adam, let's sign us off here. Yeah, well, Chris, thank you so much. And for those of you who uh, heard the the accent there, remember it's uh, smart with an RT. Um, <laughs> there at the smartrealestatecoach.com slash retire. Really appreciate you joining us again. Chris is the founder and CEO of Smart Real Estate Coach. You can find us at renttoretirement.com. That's renttoretirement.com. Once you uh, make all your first payday with Chris, you can come and buy all the... Uh, passive income with uh, with us that you can possibly have Love it. and uh, you can again that's rentretirement.com you can see it schedule a call to talk with us really appreciate you listening don't forget to leave a review on whatever podcast platform you're using and we'll talk to you on the next episode